Thanks for tuning in to Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is someone you'd have already met in one of our previous broadcasts. In that interview, he was interviewed with his spouse, but today he's here to share his own story. Kokto Yip, welcome to Upward Way. All right. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm very delighted to have you as a second-time guest. You are the first individual that I have had as a second-time guest, so I'm really and truly excited. Now, where I would want you to start today is just to allow us to understand a bit who is a Zen Buddhist. Okay. Um, Zen Buddhism is actually Japanese Buddhism, but that's not where I started. I grew up in Malaysia. I'm Chinese, and uh, I grew up as a Taoist Buddhist. I grew up as a kind of Chinese Buddhist, if you like. But then I picked up Zen, uh, which is a meditative practice of uh, Japanese Buddhism. And when I grew up, of course, in, in Malaysia, there is a huge Chinese community and also a huge Indian community, Hindus. And there was lots of meditation there already. Yeah? But that's not where I picked up or started Zen meditation or, or any meditation for that matter. Uh, I picked up Zen meditation in London when I was 18 years old. A bit of a, a contradiction in terms because I, I should have picked up, if I was interested, meditation in my home country. right? Because I was Taoist Buddhist and there's a lot of Chinese Buddhist meditation and even yoga and Hindu meditation. But as I was growing up, I was English educated. You must understand, I, I'm 73 years old right now. So that was like years ago when I was 20, right? That was 53 years ago. And as I was growing up English educated, I would say I disregarded uh, Asian stuff, Chinese stuff. I, I'm English educated. So I wanted nothing to do with this a Chinese Buddhist and family uh, worship and family uh, religion and all that, right? So I went to London to study accounting. And lo and behold, London at that time, now this is 1968. Now, 1968 in London was, well, Ravi Shankar, sitar music was going to London. Right? The Beatles were meditating with Maharishi Guru. <laughs> the Beatles were doing it. Celebrities were doing it. Indian music was there. And there were like in the bookshops, tons of books on stuff Eastern in English, which I could read. <laughs> I didn't read Mandarin or Chinese. So I began to like, wow, this is fashionable. This is like popular. And at that time, there were the flower people, the hippies, so I began to look through meditative books and I picked up Zen meditation in 
the West in London because it was packaged very well, right? So that's how I started. So that's my background. So that, that explains why I went from being a Chinese Taoist Buddhist to meditating Zen Japanese Buddhism. Talk about a trip down memory lane. You know, our guest has just revealed his age and I can tell you looking on at him, he doesn't look a day older than 50. The only thing that has convinced me that he's of age is that the hair on his head, it is telling me that, you know, it is winter, so to speak. You know, you have touched on a few points with regards to what would have been popular back then. We are seeing that this kind of thing is still very popular in the West. But before I allow you to, you know, dig a little deeper, you are today an international evangelist. So how did that transition come about? In other words, where and when did your faith journey as it relates to Christianity begin? Okay, so when I picked it up, I was 18 years old. 1968. And of course, I was, you know, doing Zen meditation all along because I felt that I needed it. I'm a bit of an anxious uh, kid, I suppose. And then being in London, uh, trying to work and at the same time study, uh, there was accounting, you know, you, you work a full day and you studied at night and then you had to pass exams. And being an anxious person, I felt stressed and alone. And so, like everybody else today, picking up meditation is to relax one so that one can do better at the things that stresses one's out. Okay? So, I picked it up. It helped me uh, somewhat. And I went through life meditating to do well in a secular area, in my studies, in my job, running my family. So that was the purpose. And so I did it from when I was 18 till I was 38. So 20 years I was meditating. Okay. Now at 38, my wife and I had three children. And we said to each other, you know, um, we've got to start having some values, some firm values in the family for our kids. So we began to say, hey, you know, what should we do? My wife then began studying, me too, regularly with Christians. Um, different denominations studying uh, the Bible. So we were investigating, but I was still like meditating. And, you know, meditation has parallels with uh, religion even with Christianity. And that's what I want to get to. Actually, Christianity today are doing Eastern meditation. But it's kind of looked at as very harmless, very beneficial. So as I was doing Zen meditation, I was studying Bible with different groups and, and being taught Bible. Uh, it wasn't contradictory. It just flowed <laughs> with other religion. And so as my wife studied, as a family was moving towards more formalized religion like Christianity, my wife decided to be baptized. And I was meditating. And you know what was in my mind? I said, why go through a baptism 
And I felt that because of my meditation, I already had it. I mean, I was uh, calm enough. I was tranquil enough. And I felt like I was enlightened. Okay, this is where meditation goes. You feel you are in control. Let me tell you a story. I mean, I hope it's not too long for this uh, radio program. <laughs> See, the Zen idea is like this. From the mind, all things arise. And by the mind, all things are overcome. For example, if you have fear, then it's only in the mind. And by meditating, following your breath, you know, getting tranquil, your fear is overcome. Okay. So I felt that, you know, I already had it enough control over my life. So why is my wife getting baptized? All right. So that was oh, strange. I thought no need to go through a ritual. Right? Meditation is spiritual. Why go through a ritual baptism? So that was what went through my mind. And she got baptized. She became a, a Christian. But I continued meditating, and three of my friends, they were highly qualified biochemists and a dentist and someone else. They were pulling me to go to listen to preaching for three nights in a row. And I resisted. I said, what? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't need that. But they were my good friends. So I went three nights in a row. I listened to this preacher preach, right? And then on the third night, I began to understand the Bible. I began to understand the cross of Calvary. And then the preacher said, whose hands deserve to be nailed? And he said, our hands, not the hands of Christ. Because we have sinned with our hands. And after three nights, I had this perception, this concept of Calvary. Christ hanging there. His love for me was immeasurable. And that his hands were nailed, not mine. Although by which time I had understood that I'm a sinner. And when the preacher said, whose hands his hands were nailed, not ours, not yours. I felt that my hands had done much, much sin. I had stolen, I had given pain. I had run away from responsibilities. And it was very strangely, the love of God, love of Christ hanging there for me, taking my sins because his hands were nailed, not mine. And I felt there was not just his forgiveness for me or his love for me, there was an exchange. His hands were nailed, not mine. And yet I am the sinner. So I felt that my sins are mine. Because of his love for me, it allowed me to see my sins. And it was the revelation to me. Before that, I felt that I was enlightened. It was a paradigm shift, an earthquake for me. And then to make it even more dramatic in relation to my heart, he said, whose feet deserve to be nailed? The preacher. And 
I felt again, it's my feet because I've gone to bad places. I've run away, I've kicked, I've hurt. And that night, my entire view of who I am, that I was enlightened, that I was arrogant, that I'm a sinner loved by God, it just changed completely a U-turn. Now, my brother, my younger brother, he was in my house living with us at that time. And he was also, I can say, he is still an Eastern meditator, okay? And I, I saw him, and I knew so little Bible, but I wanted to tell him about the love of God. But I didn't know how, because I knew so little Bible, <laughs> although I studied quite a bit, but I didn't know how to, you might say, I didn't know how to evangelize, okay? So all I could say to him was, there is a God in heaven. And that's all I knew at that point. And from that day on, because the sense of the strength of the love of God was so powerful that I wanted to find words to describe this. Because I wanted people to feel the strength of his love and how undeserving they are. But the un undeserving of his love is so necessary to break our mindset that we are, you know, so vain, so proud, so whole, you know, in our own terms. But to be whole, to be healed by God is a different dimension altogether. I want people to feel that. So that's how I began wanting to talk about, because I failed with my brother. All I could say is, oh, there's a God in heaven. But now I needed the words. I needed the Bible. I went through, you know, Christian hymns. Because Christian hymns, I know, have beautiful words. And I wanted to extract those words for people. And so that's how I began my search to tell people about Calvary. And more than that, I felt that my years of Eastern meditation didn't reveal to me the love of God. You see, I was tranquil. I was at peace. And I felt, how is it tranquility is not necessarily the love of God? All right? Although the love of God, when you know it, actually gives you, gives you peace and tranquility. But getting meditative tranquility, I missed out. I was shortchanged. I had tranquility, but not the love of God. And that was also another of my objectives after I met Christ. So that was my turning point. Right. I will allow you more time to delve a little deeper as you will, you know, contrast the difference between what you would consider Eastern meditation and the true meditation. But in terms of the changes, you know, that you'd have experienced, because you are coming from a life where you, you are meditating, you have now accepted Christ. You know, what would have been, let us say, some of the, you know, significant changes that you'd have experienced both from a personal standpoint and also within your family? The contrast is experiential, okay? It's like knowing something you've never known before. It is so dramatic. It's like, where did it come from? Why didn't I know this? For example, one of them was, I said to my brother, there's a God in heaven. That was like a paradigm shift for me. The other thing was, when I was meditating and, and people, oh, I got a lot of good friends who wanted to turn me into Christian, right? And, and 
I would challenge them. I say, why are you trying to change me, right? If God wants to change me, he can. If God wants to, to turn people into Christians, he would send someone to, to Greenland, to Eskimo land, and he can t- turn them into to Christians. Why bother with me? Just leave me alone. That night, when I knew the love of God, I felt that I should go to Greenland. <laughs> See, for a person who's grew up in Malaysia, Singapore, which is hot, <laughs> which is warm, the most formidable place is Greenland, Eskimo land, right? <laughs> That's how I use that story to push off my friends, right? But after I felt the love of God, and people need to know about the strength of his love is immeasurable. It's completely different. It changes lives. And I said to myself, I should go to Greenland. <laughs> but of course, I was married with three kids and a job, right? So I didn't. But that's how I felt. It was an experience, a knowledge of God that's so valuable that it gives you uh, motivation. It gives you a new direction in life. It's like very compelling. It is so valuable. It is like there is nothing more valuable than that. And I didn't realize, okay, at that point, that it was only my first few steps at that point, okay? (laughs) It was just my first few steps. Now, remember, I still had a meditative mindset. Eastern Zen meditative mindset. Now, I was a Christian. So, a great deal changed before I thought to myself, I realized in my mind, hey, there is a big difference between Eastern meditation, tranquility, the Eastern mindset of the worldview with the Christian worldview. That didn't come immediately. It took a while before I realized that, my goodness, the difference is huge. So, the learning, the understanding, the knowledge came much, much later. And so when I got that uh, knowledge, then I began to speak about it. That was much later. Okay, I was 38 years old when I had that transformation, you can say that, right? I only began to speak about this, let's say, eight years ago. I'm 73 now, minus eight. That's when I'm 65. (laughs) All right? To make the maths easier, my transformation is 40, let's say. And I only began to speak about it convincingly, right? In great detail, between 40 to 60. That's 15 years before I spoke about it. Wonderful, wonderful. What you have shared, it's, it's pretty deep thus far. There is something that I would want to also pull, you know, when I read the Bible, one of the apostles, Paul, he spoke about, and I'm going to be paraphrasing rather than quoting verbatim. He talked about, you know, the babe drinking the sincere milk. And then he talked about the person reaching a stage where they are eating hard food. So for, you know, in terms of your own spiritual muscles, you know, to get it to the point where you say, yes. I want to remain anchored in this faith. How did you invest in your own spiritual growth? Because I know it didn't just happen 
just because you accepted Christ, but you know, what would have been some of the steps? I know you mentioned that you wanted to share Christ, but how did you really invest to grow in him? Uh, I think the question really is this discernment. How does it grow? There was a 15-year period of growth, right? Now, you may say, yeah, yeah, doctor, you are growing slowly, right? Okay. But I must say this. Um, Today, in Christendom, Eastern meditation has come in dramatically. I mean, there's holy yoga, there's breath prayers. Rick Warren even recommends breath prayers, which is Zen, really, you know. There is... uh, Ignatian spirituality, which is basically Catholic meditation or lecture divina in churches, uh, even in Protestant churches now. So what I learned in 15 years that, you know, it's not the same. Eastern meditation and the Eastern worldview is contradictory in relation to to the Bible. That didn't come immediately. But let let me draw some uh, learning points along the way, right, in the 15 years. Sorry to cut in because it is not just, you know, with regards to the meditative aspect of, of your growth, but, you know, your overall growth, as you mentioned. So please continue. Okay. So as being a Christian, along in the 15 years, what happened was this. Um, as I began to study the Bible, I saw more of the meaning of Calvary, of Christ on the cross. In other words, he was on the cross. He hung there for everyone, everyone, even particularly the ones who are full of sin, who, because of sin, may be wrongly regarded as his enemies. I was his enemy. I was an Eastern meditator. I thought I was enlightened. I didn't even have the concept of sin. But there he was hanging, revealing how much he loved me as his enemy. And so it began to dawn on me as I studied the Bible, as I now, as a Christian, contemplated or deeply thought about Christ, about Calvary. Or you can say, as a Christian, I not... I began deeply to meditate (laughs) on Calvary. And I realized Christ loves sinners. Even when I was a sinner, he loved me. He loved me so much that he revealed revealed my sins to me, that he may heal me. And so I, although I'm Christ's enemy, when I met him at the cross, when I first met him at the cross, Yet he loved me. And so it it dawned on my mind that Christ loves his enemies. Though you are an enemy, but he wants to reveal how wrong we are in order that we may be healed, turned to him, right? And then I remember, I'm going back to 1968, right? When I was a young man and there was the Vietnam War. And one of the turning points of the Vietnam War was pictures of Buddhist monks sitting cross-legged in the public on a road, poured gasoline or petrol on themselves and lighted themselves a fire to protest the Americans. And at that time, when I was a young man and a Buddhist, I said, 
my, these Buddhist monks, they love people. And they love people to sacrifice their lives. And it gave me a strong impression that to be a Buddhist is great, right? It's a love of people. But then as I began to understand and contrast Christ on the cross and the Buddhist monk in my head being aflame and sacrificing himself for Vietnam against the Americans, I said to myself, my, Jesus Christ loved his enemies. And the Buddhist monk, yeah, he loves his country, but he hated the enemy, which is the US of A. And I said, that's a huge difference between Jesus and the monk. It began to break open uh, doors in my mind that I began to open my mind to studying more and knowing the strength of that love. And then later, as I read, you know, the strength of God's love is immeasurable. It's infinite. It's incomparable. In other words, <laughs> you, I must not compare the love of God with the love of the Buddhist monk. So what happened to me? I began to be removing myself from the philosophies of the East, for example, by the mind, all things arise, and by the mind, all things are overcome. That was a big thing on my mind because by the mind, all things are overcome. That Buddhist monk had burned himself by the power of his mind, overcome the fear of death. Wow, that was a big thing for me, for my mind. I wanted that control as well. But no, the greater control that dawned on my mind was the love of God. How much control did he have? That love to be hanging there for his enemies and everyone was his enemy because at that point, he took the sins of the world. For the love's sake, he took it for us in exchange that he may give his love. He took death that he may give love. He took death that he may give life. There was an exchange. He took sin that he may give righteousness. So it was like, uh, there is Christ on the cross to give us what we need. It blew my mind. Well, gradually, <laughs> gradually blew my mind. So you might say like this, okay, it wasn't like a bomb, right? You know, how, how in hospital, in the ICU, you're about to die, they drip you with something and they, they poke a, a needle and they drip you a bag of something, you know, medicine. And I, I figure that over the 15 years, the Word of God, the Bible, was slowly dripping into me, <laughs> right? Like in an ICU, healing me. And that's so important because you started with the, the question of discernment. Discernment doesn't come overnight. In fact, the Bible, I think it's Hebrew, says discernment comes from use, from constant use. That brings us from milk to solid food. You know, as, as you share there, there's a song that is pretty popular. I'm not sure if it's popular in Singapore, but I know it's popular in Jamaica and many parts of that section of the world. The title is His Life for Mine. Let me just share the, the first verse and then the chorus. I, I won't sing, but the first verse said, or says rather, his heart was broken 
mine was mended. He became sin. Now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. Then the chorus says, his life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine he gave his life for mine. And as I am listening to your testimony, that is exactly what I am getting from you. The love of God for the sinner, which brings me to, to a question, which I know you are more than capable of answering with that love that Christ has extended to us, has bestowed upon us. Why do you think, you know, so many persons find it difficult to, to just surrender their life to God and even for some who have surrendered, they find it difficult to trust his plans for their lives. Well, um, if we were to ask the question in relation to people of other religion, of course, other religion would say, oh, I'm a Buddhist. I've been Buddhist for 50 years. Why should I change? We all love, we all do good works, you know, <laughs> like my mother, right? I grew up as a Buddhist Taoist, right? And so my mother was Buddhist and my father was Buddhist and Taoist, right? So I became a Christian first, right? And I said to my mom, you know, you got to change, right? You got to listen. I had a dramatic experience. So how do I convey my dramatic experience to my mom? Two words, right? Words fail, you know? Beautiful as they mean, I mean, you... You uh, recited the, the words of a song, they're beautiful. But even if you give the most beautiful words to someone, it gets into their mindset, their worldview, and it's like water of a duck's back, right? So I tell my mom and my dad, oh, the love of God, you know. And you know what she says? There's nothing wrong with me. She said, I've never killed, I've never stolen. <laughs> Why should I change? <laughs> right? So... Most people, my mom included, right? They're on their way to heaven, not hell, right? So why change? The concept is we're all on the same road. And this is a popular thing. Oh, all religion leads to God, you know? This is even now in certain parts of Christian thinking, right? All roads lead to heaven, right? So how... Where is the resistance? And, you know, in pondering this and wanting to tell people about the love of God and wanting to turn people who are in East Eastern meditation to the Bible, it's been an analytical process for me. I may have the motivation myself because I've had an experience, but to, to construct it for people to understand, that's why I became more and more, I spoke more and more to bring this picture of where the big difference is. So one of the ways I would tell it is like this. And this is against the way I understood it as a meditator, okay? I'll try to, to put this idea forward right now. What do we want in life, right? So for example, and this is one of my fears, my own fears, failure. I fear failure. What is the, the common solution? I fear failure. Therefore, I want success. The more I fear failure, the more I want success to balance it out. Now, the meditator has the solution. He, he, his suggested solution is this. If you fear failure and you want success, when you want these two things, 
It gives you tension in life. Stress. The only way the meditator teaches this and Buddhism teaches this, the only way to de-stress from fear of failure and wanting to compensate with success is to detach from both failure and success. If you don't fear failure, you don't need success. Or if you don't need success, you don't fear failure. So you detach, you draw away from needing anything. You become detached. And that is meditation. Meditation says, Eastern meditation says, you follow your breath. You think of nothing because the breath is nothing. And so when you think of nothing, all things, failure or success, just fades away. The detachment is not to think of these things. Think of nothing, right? So ah, thinking of nothing seems to be the solution. I can go on and on and on, right? Now, there are a lot more tensions in life than fear of failure and, and grabbing a success. Being poor, wanting to be rich. Right? When you're poor, the more you fear poverty, the more you want wealth. But when a person gets a million bucks, he doesn't stop. <laughs> he wants more. So, solution, the meditator, Eastern meditator, detach. Think about the cross now. It's a bit difficult to do it over voice only, okay? Think about this. At the cross, Jesus or Christ took, he took death that he may give us life, his kind of life. And if we are burdened and feel alone, he took that loneliness to give us the strength of his love. So at the cross, there is an exchange See, God didn't say, oh, detach. Christ came into the reality of life and said the things that bother you, like death, like sin, like sickness, like poverty, I will take. Christ took sin. He took death. He took shame. You know, they crucified him naked to make it more shameful. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the cross of Christ. So when Christ took shame by being crucified naked, he is saying to us that the shame doesn't bother him because the strength of his love allows him to take the shame and give us his acceptance, to uphold us. So that sense of exchange is so important that the things that we fear are exchange for something that we need. So Christ didn't say, let's detach. <laughs> he says, let's face what life is with me. It's a completely different approach to life, you know? So I went from being a very passive meditator, detach. Okay, you guys, uh, you're fighting. I'm not involved. You're fighting for what's right. I'm not involved with what is right or wrong. I'm not involved. I'm just detached. I'm tranquil. I'm myself. I'm enlightened. But here, Jesus was saying a completely different approach. Face life for what it is. And I'll give you the strength to face life for what it is. So I became from passive <laughs> mindset to an active mindset. And so I felt much better about myself, actually, right? To be more 
alive, to be vibrant, to be unafraid because of God. I don't know if I've explained myself without being theological, okay? Listening as you package the whole presentation, so that kind of meditative mindset, as you put it, it's more focused on the individual. Whoever or whatever is outside of the individual is neglected. We're not really concerned about, let us say, anyone else. But when we focus on the meditation that God wants, we are concerned about ourselves, we are concerned about others, and we would want to expand or you know, share that love, share the blessings that God has bestowed upon us with others. So that's the idea of what you have just presented, correct? Yes, exactly. You see, the idea of, oh, I'm detached, is very inward-looking, it's introverted. It's almost self-focused. I don't want to say selfish, but it's very self-focused. But when there is Christ or God, an active, not force, but like an active person with you, greater than you, directing you, backing you up, it's a different approach to life and to others. Because there is someone outside of you who looked after you and from whom psychologically you have benefited, you are now not self-focused, you're other-focused. Because you've benefited and it came from outside, it didn't come from inside, you want others to feel the same thing, right? So you reach out. I think that's the, the very basis of the gospel. Amen. It's about reaching out and the text that has entered my mind from St. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. I know you have been sharing God's words internationally. So what are some of the places that you have, that you have shared the word of God thus far? And also, you know, what are some of the plans that you have as you forecast to the future? I'm in a, what you may call a Bible prophecy uh, study, okay? I am on Zoom since two years ago, since COVID, since the lockdown, and I share prophecy with Christians and non-Christians, but mostly Christians. And the reason I do that actually started with my talks on comparing or contrasting Eastern meditation with Bible meditation, and the huge difference. But my concern was, um, this was going back 10, 15 years, 15 years or more. Eastern meditation, like yoga, like Zen, like transcendental meditation, which uh, the Beatles and, and John Lennon were doing, they have been hybridized with Christian meditation particularly Catholic meditation, like Lectio Divina. And many uh, Catholic, basically monks, right, who are doing Catholic meditation have hybridized it and uh, teaching it as Christian. And so when I saw that and how Eastern meditation, not only through that way, but also through evangelists like uh, Rick Warren, uh, promoting like breath prayers, like uh, the guy who wrote um, 
chicken soup for the soul. He was uh, teaching breath prayers as well, right? So uh, this kind of thing really concerned me because, you know, after 15 years, I saw a big difference. And so I began to contrast the difference, the big difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation, big difference. But on the side of biblical meditation, when I spoke about true biblical meditation, everybody also thought about, oh, how about the hybridized version, which uh, the teachers say are Christian. So I had to make a big difference between Eastern, which is not good, and hybridized versus true biblical meditation. So it got more and more like, we've got to be very accurate about this thing. So I began to speak extensively. And in speaking about these things, I then also spoke about prophecy. Because prophecy is, again, to show differences between what to expect and what a lot of uh, people speculate <laughs> may happen, right? So as I spoke on meditation, a lot of Christians would say, tell us more, tell us more. So I began to sp speak about how Eastern meditation is spiritualism and how spiritualism is part of the false prophecies. And so I began to speak from Eastern meditation into spiritualism and began to speak extensively about prophecy. So basically, we are in a prophetic Zoom ministry uh, started about two years ago. And what we found was this. Uh, this is speaking to a, a general audience, mainly Christians in general. And Christians will say, you know, prophecy is doomsday. <laughs> it's, it's frightening. That's why we don't know what it is. We don't know about, you know, prophecy. We don't know Daniel. We don't know Revelation. We don't want to study it because it scares us. But we said, no, 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 no. We will show you from even the first study with us that it is has love, it is about grace, it is about hope and optimism, it is about knowing what to expect and how to choose. So in the first study, okay, we are not shy, we are not afraid, we study straight into something which most Christians don't even hear of. It's Daniel 70 weeks, prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. Most Christians say, what is that? But when they hear the details of the prophecy, they say, you're right. It shows us the love of God, the mercy of God. And it talks about Christ's first coming. It's the greatest messianic prophecy. In fact, it talks about Christ on the cross. <laughs> and so Christians don't realize that. And so when they realize that, and then they say, wow, the details are amazing. The prophecy talks about times years, and it gives you exactly when Christ starts his ministry, when he would be crucified. Wow, we didn't know this. And then they would say, tell us more. And so we go deeper and deeper into prophecy. And now our standard uh, session to teach prophecy is at least five sessions, five weeks. Now, five weekends only, by the way. But better if you gone, go on to the for the full 10 sessions. And so people follow us for the 10 sessions, you know, most of them. And in fact, these are Christian, mind you, these are Christian people who discover what they have missed before. The prophecy is so full of the love of God. In fact, this is what we teach, okay? 
book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Okay? This is what it says. And, in fact, prophecy is about visions. Okay? In English, there's one word, vision. But in the Hebrew word, there are basically two kinds of words for vision. One is shazon, which is Hebrew, right? Shazon is about details, about uh, when it starts, when it happens, what happens in between and all that. It's like oracle information. The other word is mare. Now, mare is the vision of a person, of a man, a comely, wholesome man. It is the vision of Christ himself. And that's why the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1 says, the book of Revelation is about Christ. Much as it has a lot of details, it is about the vision of Christ, the man himself. So that's how we started. And we've been studying this for lots and lots of people. Sometimes over one weekend, we can have uh, five, six different groups, sometimes eight groups. And sometimes we are talking to 200 plus people over one weekend. It all sounds very fantastic. And I remember when I was uh, a young man, I think I was maybe about 11 at the time, there was this story that unfolded about a child who was born in Sardina. And it was said that the child escaped into the sea and the child maybe was born with a horn or something of that nature. And so during my, my lunch hour, during those years, Myself and a few, maybe about two other classmates, we would sit down and we would be reading Revelation. But for us, we were preparing for when you know, it would be the end of the world. But we couldn't understand the, the things because all we were reading were beasts and beasts and this one having 10 heads or seven heads and 10 horns and this one having four different heads and having you know like the wings and so on. It, it was very confusing <laughs> for us. And I was so happy when maybe about four years later, I joined, you know, the Christian fellowship and the church elder at the time, he was very versatile in prophecy, Daniel and Revelation. And I was able to understand the meaning of all of these signs. And I was saying, whoa, look at the difference. Years before I was scared, shaking. And now I'm just enjoying the love of Christ. So I really applaud you on that ministry and i would encourage those who are listening you know to tune in wherever they are in the world i know there are different time zones so you know for persons who are in asia maybe malaysia singapore japan china uh, south korea the philippines you know how can they be a part of this session you know when do you meet is it on youtube is it on zoom? well you did mention zoom but you know what if a person can't log into zoom you know could you just share a bit more, you know, how can they benefit from this session or these okay. sessions? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, my wife and I run these Zoom sessions, okay? Well, let me explain. Because we are studying prophecy, if you want, you can't just jump into a study because if we are at session three or the third week, you must have understood session one and two to understand session three. So we form new groups all the time so that the people can start with session one, okay? 
you got to WhatsApp my, my wife. We're in Singapore. So the Singapore code is plus six five. And her phone number is 9327 I'll just repeat. Plus six five, that's Singapore. Then the phone number is 9327 All right. Tell her you want to join this prophecy group and we'll put you on to the, the, the new group. Okay. Because right now we are running about six or seven groups every weekend. I think I should say this. The talk is only about an hour, hour, 10 minutes. But we have live question and answer. And very often, it's the live question and answer that's interesting. All right? It goes for like an hour, hour and a half. And sometimes the whole thing goes longer. The Q&A goes longer than the material. And that is, demonstrates the extent of interest in the subject. Okay, now, it's more interesting than that because what we found is people who have done 10 sessions with us, a group that's done 10 sessions with us, they listen to this prophecy and they say to themselves, in the first round, I may have understood 35, 40% of it, but I know that what I have missed is much, much more. And these groups, which have done 10 sessions, have asked for a rerun. <laughs> Okay, so that they can get more out of it. And the popularity of the rerun, the attendance is huge. It's like 80 people. 80 people who've heard the first 10 session want to hear it again. <laughs> All right, so that just shows how uh, interesting and how, well, how much there is that people want to grasp. And it's relevant for this time. How, why is it relevant for this time? It is not us saying it. It's the Christians who are asking, okay? They are saying, you know, we're seeing unprecedented events in the world. We're seeing a pandemic. We're seeing that the solution to the pandemic didn't really work. We're seeing how it had caused worldwide financial crisis. We've seen how governments are, Often, even the Western governments are authoritarian, <laughs> okay, forcing mandates. These things seem to have some Bible prophetic meaning. So they are asking us, can you tell us more? Okay, so it's current events that are actually stirring up people's consciousness of some of the things that the Bible talks about. So I think... It's very relevant to today's circumstances. So I hope that, well, we hear from you and that you can join us in the next new group. Amen. Looking forward to joining even for myself. I have been benefiting in that I'm able to access some of those files, you know, because there's an online platform where we can access some of those files. And I will give you a chance as well to talk about that. And I've also seen some of the presentations. So I know what you are sharing. It's to say good stuff. It, it is just that words are not enough to really say, but it, it's really beneficial. As you have said, you know, it's important for us to understand our history, understand where we are in time and understand God's plans for the future. So if you could just run the website 
for us so that persons who may want you know to access you know some of the content because i know you put up some of the content online from the, your presentation from your powerpoint presentation you have the pdf material so if you could share the website where persons could access that then that could also be beneficial the thing is this these sessions as i've just explained to you right you got to go through one, two, three, four, five, right? If they go into the website, they got all 10. So what we do is this. We say, you stick with us for five sessions. And then after five sessions, we give you the website. See, this is what we do. So after five sessions, they understand a lot. Now they can, you know, rummage through the website and then they get it, right? So <laughs> I won't give them the website on, on radio. <laughs> That is, that is you know, so important. So I, I guess the question I would ask as you, you know, share about this study and persons joining the group, are you open to the idea of you know, sharing in different congregations? Because you know, nowadays persons want you know, resource persons to share on these topics. So let, let us say someone is in uh, Belize or they are in India they are in Jamaica, they are in Japan or wherever in the world, and they'd want to have you and your wife, you know, sharing in their church congregation online. Is that something that you are presently open to or you are able to do? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so easy. We will be so happy to talk to uh, congregations anywhere on Zoom. No problem. More than happy. By the way, this is what we're going to do next. See, we've automated it. All yeah. we want to do is this. We can address different time zones. Previously, it was really Singapore time zone, left, left two time zones, right two time zones, right? Now, we want to spend time to write to my connections in the US. And we're going to do the Zoom studies which you do here for US groups. Now, the US group needs a coordinator like my wife. People who've heard the first session wants to bring more people to the second session. They got to find a, a US coordinator. And the coordinator then send, puts them on the WhatsApp, tells them when the next session is. And the coordinator for the US, when people have gone through five sessions, 10 sessions, they want to attend a church, the coordinator can send them to whoever church, the SDA church they want. Right? So we are preparing to do where we have connections, like the US, Australia. You may have connections with Jamaica. Fine. Find a, a coordinator. We'll do it there for them. And once they've learned our methodology, they can do it themselves without us because they can just take our YouTube videos and play it, our PDFs, and send it out and gather them for their church, you know? So that's our plan. Sounds like a plan. And well, I can speak to connections here in Japan. They say, you know, bloom where you're planted. And so <laughs> that is the focus this evening. But I'm sure, as you have said, you know, persons would be interested. And so they can pull the resources and they will be able to share. By the way, uh, we've come to a point where we now have a Sabbath fellowship with people who were originally Sunday people. There are people now, like about 10 of them, who have said they want to keep the Sabbath. And we've had like six Sabbaths of Sabbath fellowship with, and, and there are a few who are already reading Alan White. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's, that's our, like our end point for them. We start very generally and then we 
them there. Amen. Amen. Sounds awesome. Well, I want to say thanks. It has really been a joy interacting with you, interfacing with you, and learning so many things. So I want to say thanks for not just taking the time out to share, but really taking the time to really empower the audience, because I know what you have shared, it is a first for so many. I've been speaking with Kokto Yip, international evangelist, in terms of his career path before all of this. He was an accountant, so he's a retired accountant. So he understands pretty well how things connect. Now, as his customer, before we go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? Well, I'd like to say this. The love of God as manifested through Christ Jesus. It's so complete that it cannot be replaced by anything else. And this is how Eastern meditation and hybrid meditation is. It is suggested that, oh, you can bring more joy to your life by doing Eastern meditation or yoga or hybrid meditation or something like that. It's impossible. It is God who is immeasurable. Doing something to bring, to bring God into your life is shortchanging yourself. God is sovereign. He comes in when our hearts are open. He knows our hearts, so He knows exactly when our hearts are open. He comes in immediately when our hearts are open. Right? We can be assured of that. And I can say that because my encounter with Christ was when my heart was open. And that changed my life. And God is ready on 24-7 standby for the opening of our heart. So just open your heart. He's ready to come in. Well, I'm glad to be able to speak to you all on radio. Thank you so much. Just open your hearts to God. He's ready to come in. You've been in tuned to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. Subscribe to weekly episodes on the Apple, AWR, Loud Voice, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podcast Guru apps. You're also welcome to visit Upward Way Facebook page. Click like and leave a comment. Until then, I am Marlon Walters saying goodbye. May God bless you. You've been listening to the Upward Way Podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.